The Tom Woods Show, episode 1480. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody. Bernie Sanders is running for president again, but so are many other Bernie Sanders wannabes. Best way to respond to their terrible civilization-destroying ideas is through my free ebook, Bernie Sanders is Wrong. Pick it up at BernieIsWrong.com. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. Very glad to be joined once again by our old friend, Murray Sabrin, who is a professor of finance at the business school at Ramapo College in New Jersey. And he's the author of the new book, Why the Federal Reserve Sucks. Subtitle, It Causes Inflation, Recession, Bubbles, and Enriches the 1%. Now, the Fed is very much in the news these days. Even if it weren't, I'd still have Murray on talking about his new book, let's face it. But It's all the more relevant to what's going on in the world because of how outspoken the president has been about Federal Reserve policy. He's been impatient with the Fed for not being more accommodating. So we're going to talk about that as well with Murray. But I want to start by digging a bit into this book. Murray, welcome back. Well, thank you, Tom. It's always a pleasure being with you. And congratulations on the incredible work you're doing with the podcast and all the other initiatives you have uh, it shows that libertarians can be super entrepreneurial. That's very good of you to say, Murray. Thank you. I appreciate your work very much as well. We've got an interestingly, let's say, provocative title, let's say, to discuss the book that I just told the folks about. And I'm going to pick out particular topics from it that we can discuss. I'll link to the book at tomwoods.com slash 1480. And then I thought we could take things up to the current day because these sorts of issues never really go away. What's interesting is that Obviously, I don't support Trump's view on the Fed and interest rates and all that, but it's interesting that he's angry at the Fed openly because it's not being easy enough, whereas in the past, there might have been presidents who were, let's say, impatient with the Fed, but they never said it. You know, like you don't – I don't have any record of Bill Clinton saying I wish Alan Greenspan would would be a little looser or something. I mean, there's just no record of this, just an unusual watershed, I think. Ever since Ron Paul brought the Fed into the national conversation, now it's it's just there. And now people may be wrong about it, but it's now there to be talked about. And that really is a new development. Well, this is before your time, and I'm sure a lot of the, your audience members as well. But in the uh, 1960s, when William McChesney Martin, who served as the Fed chairman from 1951 to 1970, as the Vietnam was uh, – increasing as the Great Society programs were increasing, he started to tighten the money supply in 1966. And we had a mini recession. And Johnson called uh, McChesney Martin to his ranch in Texas and towered over him and said, Bill, you got to reduce uh, interest rates. Otherwise, uh, you're going to really hurt the economy. And uh, McChesney Martin caved in and interest rates started to go down. And uh, we got one last push. And uh, the rest is history. Inflation accelerated. And then we got the 69-70 recession. But was this widely known at the time? And was this public? I think this wouldn't have been public. I don't recall. I was a college student at the time, and I just don't remember that hitting the papers. Not that I was uh, so much in tune to what the Fed was doing, but it certainly came out uh, years later. I remember reading about it uh, when I was in the 70s. So I don't know if it was general knowledge about it. It may have been somewhere buried in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. But the, but the Fed chairman back then was uh, basically someone you didn't know about. Right. Uh, they didn't testify in Congress. It was Everything was done behind the closed doors. Um, uh, there was no major uh, political opposition to the Fed, except for maybe a couple of people in Congress who thought the Fed was too uh, tight. 
in some instances. But the famous example that um, was, I think, pretty much known at the time, Murray Rothbard used to uh, wrote about it, is when um, Arthur Burns, who succeeded uh, William McChesney Martin in 1971-72, really goosed the money supply to help Nixon's re-election in 1972. And um, Rothbard quotes Arthur Burns, who famously said, if we don't do what the president does, we'll lose our independence. Yeah, I know. that not that the most perfect quotation of all time? <laughs> it just shows you how in tune the Fed is with what presidents want. Let's talk about why it's important to focus on the Fed. I mean, you've got a subtitle here that I read to the folks talking about inflation and, and uh, enriching the 1% and, and different ways that the Fed harms us. And I think it's been able to do that partly because it has been in the background and nobody really knows what it's about. And even when it comes to the four, most people just more or less buy into the propaganda about it. They, they can't imagine that there could be a fundamentally, to put it mildly, misguided institution at the heart of the U.S. economy. People can't think that way. So they don't think that way. Um, so so when we criticize the Fed, what, what it's not the problem. It's not the Fed's not printing enough money. What's the problem with the Fed? Well, the problem with the Fed is that it has an incredible monopoly on something we all wish we had, an unlimited checking account. When I first learned about the Fed uh, 50 years ago or more, actually it's 50 years ago when I read Alan Greenspan's uh, essay, Gold and Economic Freedom and Ayn Rand's Collection, Capitalism and the Unknown Ideal. And I didn't know who Murray Rothbard was at the time. I didn't know who Murray Rothbard was until 1971 when I read his New York Times op-ed. Uh, coming home from Europe, uh, interestingly enough, at, right after Nixon did wage price controls, and he really excoriated uh, Nixon for wage price controls. And then I started reading more about the Fed. And then in 1974, when I was in graduate school, I really immersed myself in all the Austrian literature, uh, read Mises and Hayek and Rothbard, and just really embraced the whole notion that the Fed is really, to use another provocative term, an enemy of the people by creating money which then has the diffusion effect, which I wrote in my dissertation in the 1970s, which I uh, was awarded in 1981, of how uh, the first receivers of the new money benefit at the expense of the people who are last in line, so to speak, to get the new money. And I said, this is just plain wrong, because obviously if you're working stiff, uh, your prices go up before your wages do, and so you're constantly losing the battle of uh, living standards as your living standard goes down because the purchasing power of your income goes down as prices go up uh, in the spiral that occurs when the Fed prints money. And so I started to think about this as this is terribly an injustice to the American people. So not only is there an economic component to this, there's a moral component to the, the, what the Federal Reserve does. And of course, we know from Austrian economic analysis that once the Fed prints money, reduces interest rates, it's going to set into motion the boom-bust cycle, which then causes uh, uh, the distortions in the economy that we all know about that you wrote in your great book, Meltdown. And so the, the average guy who doesn't own stocks, who doesn't own financial assets, who's just living paycheck to paycheck, or may have a little savings in a, a savings account, uh, they get decimated because they will probably be the first to get laid off. The blue-collar workers in industries that benefit from the Fed's easy money. So during the boom, they're doing well. But when the bust comes, you get massive unemployment in the um, in the capital goods industry or the automobile industry. And so when I was reading about this in the 1970s, putting together my dissertation, I said, how do I really get this out to the public? So one of the first things I did, and it's on my blog, murraysabron.com, I wrote a letter to the New York Times explaining the boom-bust cycle 
and they published it with a cartoon. And I called for the gold standard back then um, because the reason I wrote the article is that in one week, there was a wonderful article in the New York Times describing open market operations, how the Fed creates money. And there was an, an article a few days later or a few days before uh, where the Secret Service broke a counterfeiting ring in the Bronx of people printing money. So I said, isn't it ironic that on the one hand, the federal government doesn't want people to print money. Yet on the other hand, most economists applaud when the Federal Reserve prints money. So I said, so they published this, and it was the lead letter that you can read on my blog. And uh, it was, I think, my first time that I impl- uh, applied Austrian economic analysis to contemporary economic issues back in 1976. So I've been at this for a long time. Um, my dissertation uh, embraced the, the whole Austrian notion of how money diffuses through the economy and affects different geographic areas. And then uh, I've been writing about this on and off for the past uh, 40 some odd years. And then when I got the opportunity to uh, go on sabbatical in 19 and 2017, I said, what can I write about that would have an impact given that we're in the, the third bubble in 20 years? And I said, let me write about the Fed and look at what Greenspan and um, Bernanke were saying in their testimony to Congress uh, while the, these bubbles were going on. And the more I delved into it, the more I realized that they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know. They don't appreciate what money is all about. And there's a, a consensus at the Fed that money is, is a tool to manipulate interest rates. And Bernanke said that in this testimony in one of his um, semi-annual uh, uh, testimony to Congress that we manipulate interest, uh, interest rates. And I said, my God, he, he left the cat out of the bag. If private citizens manipulate prices, they get hauled before Congress and will probably be indicted for uh, – uh, manipulation. You can't manipulate stock prices, and certainly you can't manipulate the price of commodities. And so the Fed is manipulating the most important price in the economy, which is the interest rate. So when I started putting this together, I said, how do we get this is out to the public so they start to realize that the Fed is counterproductive? I could have used that as the title, uh, as the title why the Fed is counterproductive, and it would be a big yawn. So we have why the Federal Reserve sucks, which this is another colloquial term for saying why it's bad. And so uh, hopefully uh, we'll get some traction. And the book is, I think, positioned to not only criticize Trump and Powell, but to ask the question, why do we need a Fed if it causes inflation, recessions, bubbles, and enriches the 1%? So people on the left should really applaud the book because it points out that if you really want to reduce income inequality and wealth inequality, you've got to get rid of the Fed because the primary beneficiaries of the Fed's money printing is the 1%. And of course, if recessions are very harmful to the low and middle income uh, workers in America, so we want to get rid of recessions. And the way we get rid of recessions is for the, for the Fed to stop manipulating interest rates. And so that's why I wrote the book. And hopefully, it'll uh, do what you would did with uh, some of your books, get on the New York Times bestseller list. And then we'll have a civil national discussion. Is the Fed necessary? Because no one's discussing that since the Ron Paul campaign ended in 2000. 12. So we need to revitalize the, the uh, discussion that is central banking worthwhile? Is central banking necessary? Or can the market handle money and credit as uh, Macy's and, and Rothbard and Hayek and you and Salerno and others have pointed out? Money is, is, a, is a social good, a social phenomenon, and therefore the government should keep its hands off. Now, of course, uh, as you suggest, this is a topic that's come up quite a bit on my program and and in some of my writing and so forth. What 
is interesting to me about your book is that you have some you cover some ground that is not that widely covered. I mean, obviously, the Austrian theory of the business cycle. It's not widely covered in the general public, but in our circles, uh, people are familiar with it. But beyond that, you have treatment, not just of Keynes, which we talk about a lot, but I have to admit what I did right away was I went right to chapter six, actually, which to some people might seem like the least interesting chapter. But to me, it's by by far the most interesting because you're talking about uh, the chapter is called Monetarists, Supply Siders, and Financial Bubbles. Now, the monetarists and the supply siders are people who, you know, they're there's a diverse group of people under those uh, names, but these are people, let's say, the general public would more or less lump together in with us. And, and obviously, we do have some things in common with them, and they're not all terrible people or anything. But the kind of careful distinctions that you and I might want to make between us and them are pretty much lost on the left and on the general public. And it, it might be useful to make these distinctions, that it's it's not enough to just be a, quote, free market economist. I, I, I want to challenge people to go a little bit farther than that. So talk to us about those particular schools of thought and what you have to say in that chapter. Yeah, the interesting thing about monetarism is that how that's how I first started learning about economics when I was reading Milton Friedman's column in Newsweek magazine back in the 60s when I was a college student. And I find I found his work on the microeconomics very compelling his uh, criticism of rent control and um, and minimum wage and some other issues and government spending and so on and so forth. And then he talked about money supply and, and the Fed. And he said, well, the Fed should keep the money supply growing uh, at 3% a year or thereabouts to keep prices stable, which sounded reasonable at the time. But this is, this is the interesting thing about my journey in this whole field of economics. But back in the 1950s, when TVs, a color TV was introduced, and I was a kid, and I said, no one would buy a brand new TV unless you have oodles of money, because just from my own intuitive notion about business as a kid, I, I when a new product is introduced, it always goes down in price, because as more product is produced, sellers have to lower their price to reach the masses. And that's exactly what happened with color TV, computers, laptops, cell phones, and so on and so forth. And so when I was introduced to Greenspan's essay, Golden Economic Freedom, and uh, he pointed out how economists were fooled during the 1920s because prices were stable. And all the monetarists, uh, Irving Fisher, the, the prominent economist from Yale University, said everything is great. Even before the stock market crash in October 29, he said everything is great in the economy. We've reached a permanent level of prosperity. And because they were fooled because uh, prices were should have been going down of the great productivity of the 1920s. And when I read Rothbard's America's Great Depression, he really pointed out that um, uh, the economists who think that prices should be stable are missing the boat of the richness of how an economy really works. And so I point out that the monitors really helped create the bubble of the 1920s by insisting that you got to pump money in to keep prices stable. And then the supply siders are really a, a horse of another color. They talk about free markets and, um, and uh, price flexibility. But yet when it comes to money, they want the Fed pumping money in in order to what? Increase liquidity that would sort of grease the wheels of commerce. And I point out that Larry Kudlow, who's now Trump's chief economic advisor, in 2006, he and Arthur Laffer said, there's not going to be a recession. Everything is great. Housing is booming. Uh, wages are up. Uh, prices are relatively stable. And they missed the, the richness of what was happening underneath the surface, which is the bubble conditions through easy money that was affecting the housing market in a way that uh, even Fed economists didn't realize because, as I pointed out in, in the book, there were Fed economists who said there's no dot-com bubble and there's no housing bubble. 
So all the mainstream economists, virtually every single one of them, no matter what school of thought they were from, missed the bubble of the 2000s because they really don't understand money and credit and how it distorts the economy. And that's why when I first became um, introduced to Austrian economics, I said, this really explains everything that goes wrong in an economy that has booms and busts. Because why should they booms and busts occur? And that's where the insights of Mises and Menger and von Warburg and Hayek, uh, they explained it in such a very common sense way. And of course, Henry Hazlitt did it wonderfully in his writings. And so I said, let me write something that would be appealing and easily understood by the general public. And one of my neighbors, who's a businessman, uh, started reading the book. And he says, Murray, you explain things so easily. I can understand how the economy works from chapter one. So I think we have an opportunity with this book is to get it out to the masses and have people challenge everyone from the president on down, the federal chairman Powell, and everyone who thinks the Fed is necessary and doing a good job and point out that the emperor really has no clothes, that they're undermining sustainable prosperity by just giving us these constant bubbles. And as uh, David Stockman and others have pointed out, uh, this is the everything bubble that is going to explode one day. And um, right now, the, the, the question is, will the Fed continue to pump money in to maintain the bubble, which is ironic since Trump in 2016 said we're in a big fat bubble, yet he wants the Federal Reserve to continue the bubble because I think he realizes that if the bubble bursts now, his reelection is going to be in jeopardy. So I think the book does, a, I think, a good job of explaining why the mainstream schools of thought, the Keynesians, the monetarists, and supply siders, really misunderstanding the economy and how it really unfolds and works. And that's why I, I firmly believe that only the Austrians really understand money and credit because otherwise we wouldn't have this problem. I mean, the Austrian school has been around a long time. If people understood it, they would have embraced it and the Fed would not be doing what they have done for the past hundred years and especially the last 25 years since Greenspan decided after the crash of 87 to really pump money in when uh, stock prices go down. And that was the famous Greenspan put. So again, we have the confluence of, of uh, forces uh, because when you have $16 trillion of negative interest rates on bonds globally, we are in uncharted territory. And when I first learned about this and, and I said to myself, how did... What will it take for the U.S. to go back on a gold standard or go back to a system where we, we're not relying on the Fed uh, to, uh, to create monetary conditions that would be conducive to growth, which is we don't need a Fed to create conducive conditions for growth. Just let the market work and it'll work fine. And the key is, after all these decades of following the economy, is Foreigners hold the key. If they decide they don't want to hold dollars anymore, if they want to cash in their treasuries and cash in their dollars for gold and uh, yuan and euros and other currencies, that's when it's checkmate. So until that time comes uh, and dollars are still in demand around the world, we'll still have this roller coaster. And unfortunately, uh, the next bubble that's going to burst uh, could be uh, could be really, really big. I mean, uh, we could see a stock market decline of at least 60%, I think, given how the stock market has declined uh, incrementally higher and higher levels over the last 40 years, I think. And uh, there's an outside possibility. We're coming up to the 90th anniversary of the 29 crash. Remember, the, the dot-com bubble, the NASDAQ broke 82%. 
So is it out of the realm of possibility we could see the Dow Jones or the S&P 500 drop 89% like it did in the 29 uh, to 32 uh, debacle? So so everything is possible given the history of uh, financial markets and, and Fed manipulation of uh, money and credit. Let me raise an objection that people like you and me get all the time, yeah. which is to say that you Austrians, it's not that you have no insights. The trouble is most of you are perma bears. So of course you're going to be right once in a while. But in the meantime, you miss out on these incredibly long expansions. I mean, yeah, you're keeping your powder dry and, and that's a nice conservative approach. But with my more go get them approach, I'm cleaning up. And, you know, I would have lost a lot of money if I'd listened to you, Austria. So so leave aside the losing money thing because that's just a question of timing. Yeah. But the, the issue is, aren't we always saying, or let's say aren't some Austrians always saying that doom is around the corner? How is that helpful? Well, I, I haven't been saying that. I uh, When the 2009 uh, bottom took place, um, I gave a talk. Uh, I was invited to give a talk, and I said, uh, it looks like we're going to have a, a big uh, boom here because the money supply keep, is, keep, uh, is uh, expanding at a very rapid rate. And, of course, it has. So we've had a boom. We just hit an all-time uh, peak in the stock market, um, what, a few weeks ago at, uh, nearly, at uh, over 3,000, 3,020, I think, in the S&P. So the question now is, is the market now having a, a mini correction, resting, and having another leg up? Well, that will depend on the money supply. If the money, if the money supply keeps on uh, increasing, as Robert Wenzel points out in his writings, and he follows it very closely, uh, we're going to get another uh, uh, boom in the stock market uh, going into 2020. So it's not a matter of uh, being a perma bear. It's just being realistic as to what's happening. And then you have to decide on your own personal financial um uh, decision-making, uh, where are you going to put your assets? So I rode up this boom uh, as much as I could, um, and I started getting into cash um, uh, in, in the last few years because I'll be retiring next year, and I don't want to be caught uh, in retirement with the market down. But uh, the market, if, if we do get another leg up, then I think that'll be the last gas because it's, this market's already 10 and a half years old, which is one of the longest, if not the longest, stock market uh, boom that we've had uh, in financial history. So the question is, how much longer can it last? And that really depends on how uh, how much the how where the money supply goes over the next six months to a year. So uh, I, I think that's an unfair characterization. Uh, I think yeah, you just have to say uh, conditions are such that booms will occur when the money supply keeps on expanding, and uh, the booms will slow down when the money supply decelerates, and when the money supply contracts. Um, that's when the recession sets in because the Fed gets worried about inflation like they did in 1980 and 1990, um, in uh, 2000 uh, and 2007 and 2008. So we have the historical evidence to back up our analysis that we live in a boom-bust cycle because the Fed basically is pumping money in and draining money out. And that, that's what causes the instability, the inflations, recessions, and the bubbles. That's the subtitle of the book. So again, it's not a matter of uh, talking about gloom and doom all the time. It's talking about a boom conditions are the result of the Fed's easy money policy and driving down interest rates. And um, and when the Fed and they see inflation accelerating. And so I have my own personal inflation indicated. My wife's uh, shopping. I keep on asking her, uh, is she seeing prices go up? And she says, yeah, in some of the stores. Some of the prices are going up, uh, not in uh, great uh, numbers, but uh, some items are starting to go up. And who knows what will happen with these tariffs and how they'll impact the uh, 
price uh, uh, prices of goods going forward. And um, and then uh, the, you know the good thing that's happening in the economy, Tom, is that um, because of all the deregulation that's taking place, starting with the Carter administration and Amazon and Walmart and all the big box stores, there's so much competition out there. It's hard to raise prices. But I think what we're seeing is that quality of a lot of goods are going down or packaging goes down. In other words, instead of having a 16-ounce package of something, you may have a 15-ounce package of something, but that's supposed to be reflected in the consumer price index. The question is, are they picking that up? Because uh, even my students have told me over the years that they, when they go shopping, they see packaging has, has shrunk. So that means that there's um, a hidden inflation if the, if the Bureau of Labor Statistics is not picking that up in their monthly CPI uh, data. Let's bring things up to the present day a bit. What, first of all, before even getting into Trump, what are your impressions of Jerome Powell? He's just just another functionary, basically. Yeah, one of the studies I uh, was able to uh, find, which was interesting, was written by sociologists in California, who pointed out that uh, there's really groupthink at the Fed, and all these top people go to the same PhD programs. Uh, go to the same graduate schools. So they all learn the same paradigm. The Fed is necessary to um, uh, bring interest rates up to stifle the, uh, run, uh, the inflation and pump money in to stimulate the economy. And that's their worldview of how to run the Federal Reserve. So Powell is just another functionary. In many ways, he could be uh, the G. William Miller of the 21st century, who was appointed by Jimmy Carter, who was a disaster. He pumped so much money into the economy that gave us the double-digit inflation of the late 70s. So Powell may do the same thing. Or, and I said this on a radio show several months ago, that if, if there's a deep state out there that wants to get rid of Trump, the best way to get rid of Trump is to have a major crash in 2020. I mean, that's a very cynical view of things, but stranger things have happened in the U.S. Uh, economy over the uh, years. So if if the Fed doesn't, uh, and now William Butt Dudley, the former uh, president of the New York Fed, came out openly that the Fed is not there to uh, service um, uh, Donald Trump's trade policies. So you're starting to see Fed former Fed officials be, uh, becoming very vocal about um, Trump's economic policies. And should the Fed basically um, uh, confirm them with uh, interest rate changes, because Trump wants interest rates really to, to go to zero, which would be a disaster, it, it, would, it would really give us uh, uh, an acceleration of inflation over the next six months to a year that would uh, spin people's heads. Because right now, everyone thinks inflation is dead. And so being a contrarian, I think we can say uh, pretty much that inflation will probably accelerate as the next big thing rather than uh, uh, decelerate or stay stable. But Powell is basically just another technocrat uh, who's made a lot of money in, um, uh, in, on Wall Street. Uh, and uh, he, he's there to, um, to make sure that the institution of the Fed uh, is, uh, quote, maintains its independence. But uh, you know, the, Powell caved in already by lowering interest rates, um, uh, what, a couple of months ago. Uh, and I, that's what, what I wrote in the postscript. Will, will, will Jerome Powell uh, cave into uh, Trump. So far, he has. Now, everyone's thinking that the Fed will lower interest rates in September. In fact, some people think it's going to go. They're going to drop rates by a half a point. What if the Fed doesn't lower interest rates at all? Well, Trump will have the biggest uh, Twitter fit of all time, and the markets will probably tank because the expectation is that rates are going to come down to goose the stock market once again. So I think the September meeting is critical. And if the Fed wants to flex its muscles and show its independence, it won't lower rates. 
um, or compromises and lower rates a quarter percent. But um, uh, the betting is that the Fed's going to lower rates a quarter percent, and very few people think it's going to be a half a percent. But the, the, the outlier, the black swan event, will be the Fed doesn't lower rates, and that will cause sparks to fly on Twitter. Do you have the feeling, and I've, this is probably the dumbest question I've asked in months on this show. Okay, I, Occasionally I ask a dumb one. I think I'm setting the record here. <laughs> Do you have a feeling that Trump – I mean I, I, I don't want to open myself to criticism by people who say, look, he wouldn't have gotten where he is if he weren't bright on some level. And as a businessman, he's got some good instincts and this and that. All right, I, I understand all that. But my question is, do you have a sense that he has any – understanding of this issue apart from low interest rates equals good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, listen, he's a real estate guy. So real estate guys, he said, we love low interest rates. And so every, every developer wants low interest rates because that lowers their, um, their expenses on their income statement and, um, and makes it easier for them to uh, finance their debt because they're highly leveraged. So Trump uh, knows that the low interest rates is good, is good for his business. So, uh, and he knows uh, he, he said that we have a big fat bubble on Joe Scarborough's show, Morning Joe, on MSNBC in 2016. And yet uh, what he should have hoped for is the Fed would raise interest rates in 2017 and get the recession over with. Uh, and instead, uh, just like Obama had the recession, which already was taking place in 2009 when he uh, took office. And so uh, he, he uh, the Fed uh, gunned the money supply under Bernanke and Yellen. And uh, the economy boomed and uh, not as much as uh, people thought it would be because it was a subpar recovery. And this shows you how the distortions are continually being built up with easy money. So Trump, uh, to me, is more of a, a knee-jerk reaction to this stuff. I don't know how much he knows about this. Um, I wrote a, uh, an op-ed for the local paper, which is the, which is the front page of the opinion section in April, saying that bubble nomics could bust Trump. And um, it's possible that... Uh, he may regret his call for lower interest rates because uh, this could blow up in his face next year. And uh, so he, he's tr he's trying to navigate what he, I think, realizes is the Fed is now skating on thin ice. The economy is skating on thin ice. He's saying the economy is great. So then leave the Fed alone. I mean, he, like you said earlier, this is the first time I recall that a president has talked so openly about the Fed in my lifetime. And that goes a long time now. So I think he's making a huge mistake by openly uh, criticizing the Fed because what he what should he should be doing is saying, listen, the economy is doing well because of deregulation and lower tax rates, and um, the Fed does what, what it does. But I can tell you that we had a big fat bubble during Greenspan and a big fat bubble during Bernanke, and if we have another big fat bubble that bursts, don't blame me, folks. It's the Fed's it's the Fed's fault. That's what he should say, and then he he insulates himself from criticism if there is a downturn next year. All right. Now, as we wrap up for tonight, and of course, I, I want to remind people, you're going to find a lot of – you're going to benefit a lot and find tremendous merit in Murray's book, uh, Why the Federal Reserve Sucks. First of all, you got to give him credit for the bluntness of the title. Subtitle, it causes inflation, recession, bubbles, and enriches the 1%. Well, that's pretty in your face, but I want to know – Suppose you're talking to the average Joe, no background, doesn't know anything about interest rates or anything. Yeah. Can you explain this in a 30 to 60 second soundbite, like why this thing should matter to this person at all? Like without getting into distribution effects and Cantillon yeah. and whatever. Yeah. How, how would you explain to the average Joe? Can you? 
Well, yeah. Here's one thing I, I, I came up with. Let's say we live in an agricultural economy and you go to the farmer and get milk right out of the cow, a gallon of milk, and you get 100% milk and it's a dollar a gallon and you're happy. Then the next time you go, you see that the farmer puts uh, 5% of the gallon in the water and it's still a dollar a gallon, but you're now getting 95% milk and 5% water. You're, so you bought only 95% milk with your dollar. So you've lost purchasing power for your dollar. Everyone can understand that. Your dollar has been diluted just as the milk has been diluted. So that's one thing. Then you talk about uh, interest rates. And what I do in a PowerPoint presentation, I said, think of a beach ball on the water. And it's bobbling along very nicely. It doesn't go up or go down. But let's say you start pushing the beach ball down underneath the water. Well, in order to keep that down, you have to keep more and more pressure down. That's the Fed pumping money in to keep interest rates down. And then when it stops doing that, what happens? Interest rates go through the roof as the beach ball goes through the water and up in the sky. So that's my two ways of explaining interest rates and inflation so that the average person can understand with something that they may uh, have experienced. The book we've been talking about is Why the Federal Reserve Sucks. It Causes Inflation, Recession, Bubbles, and Enriches the 1%. I'm linking to it at tomwoods.com slash 1480. Murray, I know you have your own site for it or a URL. What's that? That's murraysabrin.com, and you can see my interview with Newsmax TV uh, with Frank Morano, uh, who is uh, Joe Piscopo's radio producer. And I just did a podcast with him that should be uh, on uh, his website soon. And you can read my 1976 letter to the New York Times, which is as applicable today as it was in 1976, how the Fed causes these bubbles by pumping money in and why a gold standard would prevent all this from happening. All right. So all that, the the links that Murray just mentioned, we'll have stuff, uh, we'll have Murray's site and the book linked at our show notes page for today, which is tomwoods.com slash 1480. All right. Well, thank you, Murray, for the time, especially poor Murray Sabrin writes to me today. I'm desperate for an episode uh, for the next day. And and he says, Tom, I got this great new book. And I thought, man, is this my lucky day or what? I said, I'm going to have you on tonight before I go to bed. So I'll have an episode for tomorrow. <laughs> so that's exactly what we did. So thanks for being such a good sport about that, Murray. And best of luck with the book. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. And keep on doing what you're doing. I think the road to liberty is uh, bright. And with you and other and the Mises Institute and other organizations, uh, doing what we need to do is to show that the state is an empty vessel, but with a lot of power. And if we keep on speaking out, I think uh, the 21st century will be the libertarian century as opposed to the statist century. Thanks again, Murray. Thank you, Tom. Okay, folks, a couple of things I want to remind you about. Um, those of you, I have, I'm surprised, pleasantly surprised at how many would-be authors I have among my listeners. And if you've ever thought about publishing with Kindle, it's a great thing. I've done it a couple of times, but there's a bit of a learning curve and I can take the edge off that learning curve for you. I've put together a simple free video series that walks you through the steps you need to follow. And then also some recommendations for how to get the word out about your Kindle book. So you can find that over at tomwoods.com slash Kindle. Second thing is appearances. For the first time ever, I'm actually speaking at a business slash entrepreneurship conference. Normally I speak at libertarian events or you know history or academic events, but I've gotten to a point where people think I have something to say on this topic too. So how about that? So that's Commission Expo, which is in Orlando, September 25th through the 29th of 2019. So if you would like to attend that, details are at tomwoods.com slash events. It's going to be great. I mean, you're going to learn so much about online business and stuff from people. I mean, I, I went to this conference last year just as an attendee. And I'll tell you something, I don't go to conferences as an attendee. 
At this point, either I'm a speaker or I don't go because I'd rather just be with my family. But in this case, I made an exception and I actually just went as an attendee and it was absolutely worth it. And I did actually see a few of you guys there. So I'm glad the more astute of you uh, in the Orlando area knew that was the place to be and I got a chance to meet you and that was great. So anyway, uh, details on that, tomwoods.com slash events. Also, the Mises Institute is having its supporter summit in Los Angeles. That's October 25th through the 27th. A lot of great people are going to be there. So that's another one to watch out for. Then there is a symposium with Ron Paul in the Lake Jackson, Texas area on November 9th. And I'll be speaking at that as well. So that's another thing you might enjoy. And that's Texas, of course. And then I don't know that I have a lot of listeners in Austria. I know I have some, but I'm actually going to be in Vienna, November 13th and 14th for the Austrian Economic Center's conference there on the Austrian School of Economics in the 21st century. And I'm going to be receiving the 2019 Hayek Lifetime Achievement Award at that event. And uh, one of the keynote speakers, by an interesting coincidence, will be Bob Murphy. And the two of us will also record an episode of the podcast that we do together called uh, Contra Krugman. We'll be doing that from Vienna that week. So that's going to be fun. So I've got details on all these events at tomwoods.com slash events. So if you're in the area for any of these, I would love to see you there. All right, that's it for today, everybody. See you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of the Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.